We're in the Hockey Podcast, back with you, episode 55 this week. We finally have um, some news and developments in the in the NHL, anyway, in the hockey world that way. Um, things are kind of coming to, to fruition, kind of making taking shape a little bit um, on what the next steps are to complete the season. The regular season is has been announced by Gary Batman as being officially done, um, so... They will not be playing the remaining 12 games. So regular season finished where you were is where you finished in the standings in that regard. Um, they're moving into, um, from from everything we know here at War Room, uh, they're moving to a, um, the phase one, which is here in the, the first part of June, um, allowing um, w- uh, voluntary workouts um, at team facilities. Um and no more than five or six at a time in a practice facility, and five or six players, yeah, you know, individuals. Whether that's co- and everything, there's no updates yet on um, coaches aren't allowed. So there's no updates yet on what coaches are allowed to do, um, and all that stuff. Um, right now, they're debating between a number of cities to be uh, hub cities for the playoffs once once it gets started. Does uh, that depend on the two-week Trudeau quarantine problem? It does. Um, Edmonton, Vancouver, um, are, Toronto are well, two or three examples there of potential uh, hub cities or cities that are vying to be a hub city. Um, but the question does remain... Um, that well, not a question. It won't happen in Canada. There won't be a Canadian hub city unless they can work their way around the mandatory fourteen-day uh, quarantine. Um, if they can't do that, they will have to find other options. Meaning, both cities will likely be in the states. Um, that being said, we do have um, our twenty-four teams: Anaheim, L.A., San Jose, New Jersey, Ottawa. Um, Buffalo and Detroit are all teams whose seasons are officially over and they are not to be returning to any facilities until the 2021 season. Um, the rest of the teams are playing, uh, top four teams, um, Philly, Tampa, Washington, and, um, Boston Boston. in the East, right? St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, Three of the top fourteen, and St. Louis. Yeah, I said St. Louis uh, in the West, except uh, uh, with an Edmonton. Would Edmonton be the fourth? Well, let me let me pull it up. I posted on social media um, the um, how it's going to work. The f- anyways, while I look it up, the top four teams um, in each are will play round robin style uh, for seeding, um, and then from there they will. Um, Let's see, top four teams, St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas. Dallas. Um, in the Dallas West. Story. Yeah. Um, and then you have Edmonton versus Chicago, Nashville versus Arizona, Vancouver versus Minnesota, Calgary versus Winnipeg um, in the West, um, Pittsburgh versus Montreal, Carolina versus the Rangers, the Islanders versus the Panthers, and the Maple Leafs versus the Blue Jackets in the East. Um, and it's bracketed. So um, based on top four seeding, um, the winners of the play-in will then play accordingly they'll go um, into a regular playoff bracket is that correct like a, a but that that'll be that won't that be a top seed versus bottom seed every time 
But no, apparently not if it's bracketed. Well, I think it. I think it's bracket. It's bracketed, but it 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 still is based on seeding because then, um, a lo- the lowest team will then play the highest seeded of the top four. So it's still seeded in that regard. Okay. Um, but in regards to bracketed, it's bracketed in the in the play in any anyway where five plays twelve and you know and and six plays eleven and and seven plays the tenth seed and all that stuff. So so if they're it's a it's I gotta a, try to say this without going on a rant about this stupid China virus nonsense. But if if you're going to wait till mid July, first of all, you're gonna wait till mid July to even start this hybrid playoff. Yep. And and still gonna do it without fans? I nothing's been said yet about fans. So I don't know. I haven't heard anything about fans. I I don't think anything's been said by Bob McKenzie, Darren Dreger, or, or anybody out there about uh, Ellie Friedman or anybody out there about fans. What uh, I well, just in perspective, NASCAR is back without fans. Without Golf fans. is back without fans. Lots of teams and and leagues and entities around the world going back to work without fans and without crowds. Opinions aside, if you're going to wait another two months to get back to work, why wait two months and then and then have no fans? Even then, and then in addition to that, why do you need Toronto or Vancouver or Pittsburgh or L.A. or any place else that you choose to have Vegas, where you choose to have a hub city? If you're not going to have fans anyway, you could have it in. in Moose Jaw, you could, you could, they could be host cities in in Brandon. Like, why, why would you need a big host city if you're going to have nobody in the building? I'm, I'm not understanding the logic here. I know common, it's, common sense, common sense to me dictates that, that if they're going to do it that way, um, that they might allow at least some fans. But nothing's been said to this point, so I, I don't. What I do know is that there's a very complicated draft lottery system now. <laughs> I saw um, that too. Which um, I'm not going to begin to try and dive into, no. but it's a situation where the seven teams that didn't make that didn't make the playoffs are now in your draft lottery for the top three picks, and then the the losers of the play in make up the rest of the 15 teams for the draft lottery. And then beyond that, though, then it becomes complicated about who wins, who loses, what this means, who gets selected there, and what that means. So it's a whole mess. But in in regards to the 15 lottery teams, it's simplistic. The seven teams that didn't make it and then the eight losing teams in the play-in make up the draft lottery. And that all makes sense to me. That would have been that way anyway. My other other question here and i realize there's a lot of parts to this right so you got to think about you got to think about travel uh and you've got to think about what to do i mean these guys are all flying charter anyway so there's no you you don't have to get on and off of public uh, commercial aircraft but if you're going to play a five game series in the play-in round in the play-in portion of the playoffs if you're going to play a five game series and you can't have fans right away anyhow, why don't you just get right back to work now, finish the regular season, have host cities in the middle of 
either country. Do you have have Winnipeg, St. Louis, whatever, Nashville, somebody, Chicago, have host cities in the middle of the continent play the playoffs or play the regular the rest of the regular season. You're going to play five games in the playoffs. You're only leaving seven games out there, and then nobody can argue with the draft lottery setup. Nobody can argue with the like the the teams that are. For example, somebody three points out of a playoff with two games in hand right now, and they get skunked. I I understand the frustration there. Now, if out of thirty-one teams, if five of them are angry with this, that's not too bad. But if you're gonna do it, do it like you're only sacrificing a week and a half. And if you're not going back to work until mid-July, wow. I mean, I just this is this is more of my complete loss for logic on how people are reacting to this thing yeah yeah, i don't know i i it's a mess and um we've made it clear in the past how we personally feel about everything that's going on um from a hockey perspective i at least have to say that i'm happy that they're at least the game's coming back and they're at least going to finish finish the playoffs and award the stanley cup in some capacity that being said you know how we where i stand anyway on 24 teams in the playoffs and all this stuff but um in regards to in general into generalizations um there's something to be said that they're at least going to complete the year so in in regards to this that's good the stanley cup so um that being said there's also the argument to be made um about how they're doing things in in regards to revenue, does it have to do with revenue? Are they, uh, you know, we can debate it all we want, but it's just a question that I've thought to myself over the past number of days um, and it at least pondered. Is is it a revenue-driven thing where they're trying to salvage what they can revenue-wise by having more teams in the playoffs, which means more because playoffs, and again, it's all driven by fans in that regard, but in general, playoffs do more in revenue than the regular season does anyway. And so if you have more teams in the playoffs, that's more teams drawn in revenue, which means that's more revenue coming in for the league, which, you know, so it, it, it may be a loose argument, but it's at least something that I've pondered is in regards to it, because I'm with you. Common sense tells me that all this is just wacky. So what else could it be? Right. So I've at least pondered the, uh, the revenue aspect of how they're going about things may not be correct. I may be 100%, 1000% wrong, but it's just something that I've pondered. If so, you can be more than 100% wrong, I'm, uh, I want to see it. Uh, the, other, the other question I have regarding revenue, and I don't remember how much of this revenue thing we talked about, but if you're talking about regular season and then the playoffs on top of it, I'm going to say regardless, and this is just gate revenue. This has nothing to do with television. This has only to do with concessions, merchandise, ticket sales, parking, all the ancillary revenues just inside the building. We're talking about roughly five, depending on the market you're in, five to $6 million per game per night. There's 90 playoff games in an average year. I'm talking playoffs only. I mean, do the math. That's a it's a half a half to three quarters of a billion dollars in revenue now. And the other the other one that everybody has to remember is that 
nearly every city now, Vegas, Nashville, Toronto, uh, every city does a street party. The figures released a few years ago, and we brought this up uh, a couple months ago, the figures released by the Nashville Predators when they made their run in the finals three or four years ago, 75 to $80 million they made in that two-month run from the street party alone. Beer and food and merchandise, and I don't know if there was an admission charge, or but they figured it was between 75 and $80 million back then, in addition to the revenue in the gate, inside the building. So we're talking about a pile of money. Who takes that loss? Is that the players aren't going to want that to come off the cap. The owners aren't going to want to soak all that up after, after getting clobbered this way. Are you going to ask TV advertisers to pony up more money because people can't go to the game so you've got more eyeballs at home? Is that the logic? Which is not unrealistic, right? Yeah. Or is the league going to come out and say, well, for our finishing the season package, we need an extra $100 for the NHL Center Ice or Sportsnet or whatever package you subscribe to. And that's going to be for people who have been unemployed. That's going to be a kick right in the seeds when you have been not working for the last two and a half months. And now the NHL are finally going back to work. I can lose, watch hockey. Lose, yeah, but I need lose more money that way because people can't afford to pay anyway. Right. So, and see, that's where my argument comes in. And then we'll transition here. But yep. that's where my argument comes in with the revenue aspect uh, that it's revenue driven and that's where my my thought process and i'm 50 50 on it but that's where my thought process comes in on they've got to at least have some fans because because you just the players aren't going to want it to, to come off the cap right. and and other things like that so and the league isn't going to want to afford to lose all that revenue so you got to at least allow some people in to to allow for some street parties and allow for tickets to be sold amongst other things you just have to there there it it's poor business and and everything if you don't i mean what the this is going to have a long term effect on the game of hockey and the league and the national hockey league if you don't if you do it any other way other than fans in in the seats and and everything like that. I so if, totally if you agree. have fans in the seats and you have 24 teams, then to me that's a revenue thing where now, okay, combine fans and extra teams in the playoffs, and now we're, we're making that extra revenue. That, so that's where my argument comes in about at least pondering the, the, I, the idea that this is a revenue-driven return-to-play concept here. Well, it has to be, in one regard, it has to, it's revenue-driven, but it's also driven by fan interest. And the game is really, really popular. It, it was, you know, the, the interest in the game, the relationship with the fans has never been better. It's never been more widespread around the world. So they got a, they got a double-edged sword here to look after, which is keeping fan interest and maximizing revenue and we say all this from the standpoint of people who are not going to the building every night to watch a game. We're not, we're not ticket holders. We're not going to be ticket holders where we are. We're not, we're not proximate to any of that. So we're not going to the games anyway. We are not 
looking at it from the standpoint of I'm pissed because I want to attend and I can't. Irrelevant for me and you, right? Absolutely. I'm just looking at it from a business standpoint, from a revenue standpoint. I don't know how this works without fans. I guess it's better than nothing, but it's a it's a bloodbath if you're giving away all the gate revenue and the street party revenue and everything else every night. Wow. Yeah. Well, transitioning uh, this week, we are uh, discussing some player evaluations. Uh, before we get into that, make sure you head to the necessary social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, War Room the Hockey Podcast, at War Room the Hockey Podcast, and at War Hockey, respectively. You can find the latest episodes of the podcast on www.warroomhockey.com as well. Uh, make sure you head to, uh, if you haven't already, head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe, you rate and review, you share, and continue to help us grow. On the social media platforms, you will find um, a the um, update and post we made this morning. Um, War Room is starting has started their um, own power rankings um, but based on um, unlike a lot of the other ones that we see it's based on stats and facts more than opinion okay um, rules what you'll find uh, it's explained in the post and and everything but the rules are it's based on 10 game increments um, so based on last 10 games played for example. Okay. Right? So last 10 games played. Um, and then that's where you stand. Um, if you have the same record, say two teams and 10 games played have a seven and three record. Now you need a tiebreaker to see where they fall in the, in the rankings. Uh, first tiebreaker, um, goes to, um, win streak. So how long is their win streak? Have they won three games? Have they lost two? win streak um and then the second tiebreaker is differential so um in this regard it's plus minus it's goal differential basically okay um and those those are those are your tiebreakers so what you'll find on on social media when you go and you follow us at warm the hockey podcast on instagram you like us on facebook and all those things what you'll find is um power rankings for the last 10 games played before the season was suspended and the last and the last power ranking going into the playoffs. Now that now that they're returning and they're going to uh, go into the playoffs and reward the Stanley Cup, it's the last ten games played before the season was suspended. Uh, so your top team um, in the first and only power rankings um, from War Room this season, and then next season there will be eight or ten of them for every ten game increments. Um, but number one on this one is the Flyers. They sit number one at the top of the power rankings. They went nine and one in their last ten games before uh, the season suspension. Uh, and last on the power rankings is Buffalo. Uh, they went three and seven um, in their last ten games. Um, some tiebreakers that went in, obviously with uh, win streak and goal differential. Um, Detroit surprisingly does not sit last in the power rankings. Uh, they sit third to last. Um, they had a tiebreaker with um, San Jose. They both went three, six, and one in their last ten games. Detroit has a negative one hundred and twenty-two differential. I saw that. So, um, get kind of wow. gives you an idea. I can carry on clearly about this for <clears throat> forever. But head to the necessary social media platforms. F- follow, like. Head to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe, rate, review, and share. And that's where you'll find. Um, the first installment of War Room, the Hockey Podcast Power Rankings. Um, 
and we promise they will become a normal thing. This is just the only one uh, for this season as we head into the playoffs. So make sure you do that. Make sure you um, follow us. Make sure you settle in. Episode 55 of War Room the Hockey Podcast discussing player evaluations. We will be right back with you. episode 55 we are talking player evaluations this week um thank you for bearing with us through our little um introduction discussion um and update on everything that's going on headline wise um episode 55 worm the hockey podcast player evaluations um I'll, i'll guess i'll let you kick it off um this was your topic idea um on uh the idea you had for player evaluations um specifically um yeah, just what what your thought was on it um, uh, in regards to its own individual um, episode. Well, a, a couple of things really jump out at me all the time, and I, as you know from my background, it's always been like my favorite thing: trying to see what this kid is made of today. What's he going to be made of in five years? It, it, you know, how is this for a trade? How does this guy fit with this coach, with these line mates? Uh, how does he fit into our system? How does he fit into our salary cap? Um, this goes back to also, this goes down to the minor hockey level because even though you're not investing hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in a guy, you're not even investing a scholarship in a kid when he's a bantam. Uh, a lot of guys, it's their job, especially at the higher levels. And so you have, you get paid to put good product on the ice and we could, we've already argued that point, but <clears throat> with, when you look at draft classes, look at every year, take your favorite team or take your favorite year, look at a, look at a draft class evaluation for 10 or 15 years. These are guys who GMs, director of player personnel, player development, skating coaches, goalie coaches, scouting staffs. At the NHL level, there are hundreds of millions of dollars spent every year. Every team has an enormous budget that goes into player evaluation, and that is the amateur scouting and amateur draft efforts. They get If they get one player out of each draft, they're doing okay. Might be a fourth liner, might be a third line or a third pair defense, but if they get one regular NHL player out of each draft, they're doing okay. If you get one and a half or two on the average, you're probably at the top of the league. If you go two or three years without putting a regular NHLer on the ice out of the draft, you're probably, you probably stink. So with that, with those numbers in mind, think how often they get it wrong. And drastically wrong. Think how if you draft seven guys in each draft in each year, and maybe one of them plays. That's a I mean that's a horror. That's you're you're wrong 85 percent of the time. So how you can ever figure that you get it right 
in a week and a half evaluation camp, hey, like you've been through, how do you, how does a volunteer minor hockey coach or even a, a, a peewee coach at AAA level, tier one, how does he figure he gets it right so often? I think it's an arrogant mistake to think that you get it right when entire buses full of NHL scouts and player development and player personnel guys whiff 80% of the time. Yeah. Well, it's not based on previous conversations and we won't, I won't discuss it, but yeah. it's not just volunteer youth coaches. It's, um, a lot of the, it's uh, the paid it's, guys. It's a lot of the, uh, cancerous, uh, paid guys like we've discussed before. So I'll just say that now that being said though, um, it, it it is you're you're correct and and I will what I will do though um, is speak on my own experience and what I what I've witnessed and and things like that in regards to that idea um, you're not gonna get there's just no way to get it right it's one of the flawed quite frankly one of the flawed systems of youth hockey um, the idea that you can get a bunch of kids into a two day tryout and have a bunch of coaches in, in clipboards half of which if i if i'm gonna spill the tea here a little bit aren't even paying attention yep um aren't even watching yep. they're just putting check marks on a paper and calling it good um and again they're doing it based off of guys they already know right coming in they already know that are a level players right so they don't so right there again on ideas we've already discussed previously they don't need to watch because hey i'm 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 already i've already got my picks that's what i mean so i got this i don't need yeah to. i got this so but the point is in in general though they're half of them three quarters of them not even paying attention and and everything plus the number of kids you have there and and all this stuff how do you get enough eyeball time on each individual kid to know what they can or can't do. And so it, it really, to me, it really speaks, um, to the flawed system of youth hockey because you just, you're, you're either taken based on what you already know, which is, Hey, you know, I like the parents, so let's bring him in or wow, he's a double a player. And I know that because we recruited him from such and such. So I'm going to take him on my team. So I don't need to watch anybody else. That's somebody else's problem. And so it just, it, it shows it's a flawed system. And I, I know from experience having coached and, and having, you know, parents come up to me and say, Hey, and I, I got no problem sharing this saying, Hey, we're drinking buddies on, uh, on tournaments. If you, if you, <laughs> if you take us on the same team, we've got somebody to, to hang with when we yeah. go on tournaments. Somebody, a parent said that to me with a straight face. <laughs> and it's, it, it, it just goes to show you the things that go into the selection process that don't have to do with developmental hockey and, the, and growing tremendous young people, young men, young women, and, and growing the game. It, it really is just a, a, a social club for the parents and a big, you know, whole mess. That's, that's all fine. If, if you are a rec player, it's all good. If you're a house player, sure. And if you're not, if your desire is not to skate 12 months out of the year, your desire is not to pour your life into hockey. If you want to play ball in the summer and you want to 
ski some in the winter and have a normal life outside the rink, I, I certainly applaud that. Absolutely, I'm a, I'm a proponent of a well-rounded kid. If, if that's the case, take what you can get, learn what you can, learn how to skate, be a good guy, and you will always enjoy the game. And you will be headed for the same beer league as all the hotshot players are. You're headed for the same dressing room as them 10 or 15 years down the road. So be a good guy. Learn the fundamentals. If you are trying to make it as a higher level player, again, skating and character are the two pillars that you have to have. If you don't have them, go get them. And if you don't make the right team, don't give up. Keep going. Keep developing your skating. Keep developing your character. F- seek out advice on how you can get better. Seek, uh, seek wisdom and, and keep working at it. And don't give up on it. Not everybody makes it at 16 or 17. Uh, you know, the, right now, in the 2017 draft, 22 uh, players out of round one, this was is coming up on four years ago, 22 of those players have played. Only four or five have played much. And that's, it just goes to show it doesn't matter where you're drafted. It doesn't matter if you're drafted. Keep working at it. Keep standing on those two pillars of the game, which yeah. is character and skating. And, and remember that whether it's negligence or whether it's deceit or whether it's just human error, it's very seldom do guys get it right very often, no matter who you are. And I'm not indicting any kind of minor hockey coach or anybody who's looking at higher level players in the minor hockey system, because we're talking about the same thing with scouting staffs with millions of dollars in their budget. They get it wrong most often. So don't lose heart. There are guys that are free agents and seventh rounders and uh, guys you've never heard of that will end up playing regular, that end up like Marty St. Louis. They might be in the Hall of Fame someday. The question would be then, how do you, how do you get, um, how do you start promoting proper player evaluations at a, at a youth level? You know, because, because it it all starts at a youth level. You yes. don't get to the, the higher levels unless it starts at a youth level. So the question is, how do you do it? Because there's, because all the, all the negative things we can throw around doesn't change the fact that at the end of the day, there's also a, a scheduling thing where kids have school and parents have work and things like that. And so you have to almost do it in a two or three day period. Oh yeah. And no you, question. and you, no on, and you only have, X amount of coaches available right. and everything. I think I think that changes if you start if you start doing things the smart way with your budget, like we've discussed, and you start at least giving a, a balancing out, and giving a stipend to each coach to make it worth their time to be there um, beyond being a dad of one of the kids. Right. But beyond that, you're stuck with what you're kind of stuck with, and I I'll admit that. Um, so beyond that, how do you do proper evaluations when you've got only certain eyeballs on all these kids for only a certain amount of time because you have to get things moving a little bit? Uh, I don't have an answer to that question because there isn't one. As you know, player evaluation, and we'll keep driving home this point, it is an extremely inexact science. If you could, and, and or later in the discussion we'll get to analytics, 
But if you could figure out a scientific equation that can tell you whether this kid should go in the first round or the sixth round or not at all, or if you should trade up to get him, you would never have to work a day in your life. But there isn't one. So I can only tell you that because so many, if, if not the vast majority of guys, as you know, coaching and helping in the minor hockey system nationwide here in Canada and in the U.S., they are volunteers. I would say do as long as you do everything out there for the right reasons, then you don't owe anyone an explanation. So do it for the right reason. Don't do it because you're buddies with someone. Don't do it because just because the kid is the fastest skater out there. That's too simplistic. Don't do it because even though he's clumsy and, and physically inept, he's a really good kid. That's not enough reason either. So the inexact science is, does he have the potential to get better? Does he have the attitude that will allow him to sponge up information and get better? If he has those two things and his parents are not radioactive, then take him. Doesn't always have to be the best player. He's the most workable player. He's the, he's the lump of clay that you can make into something. Now, you, you parents out there that are listening, the best thing you can do if you really don't know much about the game is drop your kid off, pat him on the head and wish him luck and stay away. Because generally by being in there and being involved too much, you're a, you're a negative factor. So I understand it when a coach has to say, I don't want this kid because I don't want to live with his parents every time he's not on the first power play unit. My phone's going to ring all night long. I don't want that. Stay out of the road, trust the process, and trust that your kid will get better. Try to teach your kid to just improve and soak up information. Bottom line, to answer your question, do it for the right reasons, and you won't owe, you won't ever have to fear a parent confronting you in the lobby. Do it for the wrong reasons, and you got to change your phone number every year. So, do it the very, very best you can. Being a volunteer, being a short short window of maybe a weekend or a week of evaluations and scrimmages and things, just do the best you can with it. Draft good kids and draft kids with potential because at every level at that point, your job is to develop them. If they don't have the physical ability to develop, there's not much you can do. And that's a harsh reality to have to tell a 13-year-old. If they don't have the mental and emotional capability to develop, meaning the humility to know that I'm a C-minus player, but I could get better if I just shut up and listen, that's another thing. That, that's, that's where you want, that's where you got to have the combination of good character and some physical ability. So... That's, that's the only advice I could offer those guys is do it all for the right reasons. Period. Yeah. I mean, that's as simple as it, it's as best an answer as you can get probably given the way things are right now. Yeah. And back to the scientific part of it. The other thing that really that dawned on me, and I think uh, our loyal listener um, brought this up back early in the podcast was the question about how the use of analytics and you and I talk about this quite a lot. 
if you were to guess where would analytics, what, how much of a factor would analytics be when you were looking, if you had the analytics on a player, if you had Corsi and Fenwick and, and all the different manipulative, uh, me the methods of evaluating a guy with a spreadsheet, how much factor would that play in for you? Like for me? Yeah. Like, what would you say? Or for me on, on my personal take on it? Yeah, I don't know. Is it maybe 15, 20%? Uh, I, would ar I would almost argue less than that for, yeah. for me personally. Well, I, I have a hard time. Like, okay, just you heard it earlier. Like, you to me, like, you can put stats to um, encompass an, a player's overall career. Right. Like, did they finish with how many goals, how many assists, how many points, what plus minus, how many penalty minutes, you know, different things like how much ice time, things like that. Um, you could, you, I guess you, it's not zero because you could use it um, in regards to ice time related to point production. Yep. In regards to, okay, if he's out on the ice for 18 minutes a game and he's putting up a point every two games, Right. Yep. Type of thing. Then it then you it could be beneficial to kind of give you an idea of wait a minute. Okay, if I increase his ice time, maybe that maybe that moves from instead of a point every two games to a point every game average. If I lower his ice time, maybe it goes from a point every two games to a point every four games. All right. You can use it in that regard. Um, beyond that, though, I struggle with with something being such an inexact science, I struggle trying to contain it into this box of being able to say that this, this young man, this, this kid, this player is going to be this because of A to Z stat in a no. spreadsheet. I, 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 I have a hard time with my own common sense being able to even say that right now let <laughs> well, alone be able to to say at any other point that it that it could or even should be used to predict everybody i think else it has, has the a, same problem i think it has a time and place like yeah. i said ice time this production that but beyond that it's you know it's it's feel i mean it, it's understanding that this guy's working his ass off mark barbario in colorado such a good attitude. He works his ass off in practice, knowing he's a seventh defenseman, healthy scratch every night, but he earns himself a game every now and then. And when he does, he goes out and he, he gives it everything he can. It's that type of stuff, that feel to know, you know what? I, As Jared Bednar, I need Mark Barberio in the lineup tonight. This is our opponent. This is that we're lacking this energy. We're we're doing whatever. I need him in the lineup because I know what he's going to bring. Because he hasn't been in the lineup because he hasn't gotten that ice time. It's a it, to me. It's a feel thing on all that stuff. That's exactly right. And, and so if it's it should it should be consolation that nobody else in the world knows what to do with it either, and that's why it plays a very very small part in the in the role uh, in the evaluation. So. I don't know what they're good for. I know years ago they were all the rage and everybody wanted to see all the, all, all the analytics and the teams were hiring analytics guys. And you know, Kyle Dubas came from an analytics background. It's all well and good, but there is no formula for it. 
And if anybody tells you that it's meaningful, they're it, they're wrong. That's all there is to it. Because if there was, there would no there there would not be scouts sitting in those nasty cold rinks every weekend for eight months at a time. It just wouldn't happen. There would never be interviews or combines or anything else. They would just sit home and read the spreadsheets and draft it that way. And it does not work. So the the analytics are like, there's only one that I looked through over the last 10 years. There's only one piece of data that really says much about a player, and that's his shot chart. If you're looking at goal scoring, it's his shot chart. If you're looking at defense, it's his shot chart against. So when you, if you see this kid's taken 100 shots in the last X amount of games, 20 games or 25 games, look where they're from. You know, forget his shooting percentage. Where did he shoot from? Uh, forget how many goals he scored. Where did he shoot from? Who's he playing with? Who's he playing against? There's there are so many factors in this. That's why it is such a ghostly answer. I mean, it is just literally vapor when you talk about evaluating a player uh, and you throw out the high and the low. So throw out all the, the biggest stars in the game. It's it's finding that third or fourth round gem. It's you know it's finding that guy that nobody you know, nobody gave a second look to that becomes your second line center for the next 20 years. And, and at the end of it all, you, you know, you just don't have to, you don't have to listen to anybody because they don't have the answer. They just, so here we got a show about an unanswerable question, a rhetorical question that nobody can figure out. And I guess it's just up to us to say, quit trying. Just do the best you can with it and, uh, you know, throw, lick your thumb and stick it in the air and see which way the wind blows. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah, that kind of covers player evaluations because it's a, it's a very simple, it's a very simple thing. Um, but it also is very complex in that it doesn't have an answer. So absolutely, I, right. it's, um, yeah, we kind of covered it. So, um, anything else you need to add, um, to, um, player evaluations when we get back um, from a, a quick, short little, uh, short little break here. Just a bit, not not much. Uh, there's not much, not much, <clears throat> not much sense in continuing the discussion of some of a uh, of a segment of the game to which there is no definitive answer. So, War Room Hockey Podcast, episode fifty-five, player evaluations. Uh, we will be right back with you. Hockey Podcast, episode 55, Player Evaluations. The finishing, the home stretch finishing touches on uh, our conversation here before we close things out for yet another week. Uh, you, you mentioned before our uh, quick little break that uh, you had some final thoughts that you wanted to add. Yeah, and, and this is what... Uh, this. <laughs> I want to I want to drive home the point of how just completely nebulous this whole thing is that when you see a player regardless of how he can skate regardless of what kind of character he has uh, on and off the ice you don't know how he's going to react under pressure right you don't know how he's going to react in the third period of a one goal game night in and night out you don't know how he's going to react in the clutch 
He's taken a defensive zone draw in a playoff game. You don't know necessarily how he's going to react to adversity. What if what happens when he gets sent to the press box for three weeks for the first time in his life? When he gets sent to the East Coast League, when he doesn't, I mean, he doesn't last three days into training camp. How's he going to react to that? It all goes, I mean, character is the indication of it. It's not the be-all, end-all of it. I mean, it can tell you for the most part how he's going to respond because as you and I are great students of uh, special operations, special forces in the military, there's a 90% washout rate. Do they not know who to invite (laughs) to those evaluations? No, but you have to put the player in that crucible to find out after the fact whether he can stand up to it or not. Yep. Is he going to quit? Is he going to wilt? Is he going to back down? Um, is How is he going to respond to maybe the first time in his life at 17 or 18 or 19 years old, he's playing for a coach that does, is not the least bit impressed with him. Yep. He's been a star at every level all of his life, and now all of a sudden he's playing in your system in the American Hockey League at 20 years old, and the coach thinks he's a boob. Like, how's he going to re- how's he going to react to that? So right place, right time. Everybody's got to fit in in the right spot. They got to be in the right role with the right coach and system. Uh, and again, for the players, it goes back to being able to skate and having good character because you are going to face adversity. You're going to have to play under pressure. You're going to have to respond to a lot of things at the higher level you get to. You're going to have to respond to things that you have never dealt with in your life yet. You've been a star. uh, You've been a stud at every level. Get ready because life is about to start taking sucker punches at you. As a coach, as a parent, don't give up drive home character and skating ability and you will always have that to fall back on and somebody will recognize you if you are recognizable but make yourself uh, make yourself unimpeachable in those two things and you'll give yourself every possible chance and again the best thing you can do if you are not an expert uh, as a parent the best thing you can do is just step out of the way give your kid all the support they want Every kid's different. Some of them need a kick in the butt to work harder. Some of them need a pat on the head. Uh, I know Keith Yandel said that his his parents, he would get up some mornings and say, I really don't feel like going to play. And they'd say, okay, I'll go back to bed. Now, somebody, some people would just be astounded at that. It worked for him. He's an all-star. He's a, one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League, has been for a long time. Some players might think, holy mackerel, that, I would have not, I would have not thought that that worked for a competitive guy. He never worked out in the off season. He was never forced to go to the rink. He didn't do anything. He was just naturally talented. And the more pressure you put on him, the more he would want to go skateboard. So every guy's different. And you know this, you, you've seen it. So, you know, again, there is not a formula. Feel out the situation, profile the, the player, profile the coach and the status of where you are. And, and don't give up. Enjoy the game, have a, have a great attitude, and you'll enjoy it for the rest of your life. Agreed, agreed. Um, 
Yeah, so hockey's coming back. Anything we're uh, <laughs> looking forward to in the coming weeks, oh. uh, coming week or weeks? Uh, I know I'm looking for forward to some more clarification on uh, how things are going to be conducted uh, once uh, training camps and kind of get going again. It's a weird thought to think training camps are kicking off in the summer, um, but uh, once the training camps and the workouts get going to get guys ready to get back on the on the ice, um, I do like that um, your top four seeds in each conference aren't sitting and waiting, um, so I do like that they get to play meaningful hockey against each other yep. um, and not sit cold for, totally agree. for through their the five-game play-in, uh, best of five uh, play-in stuff, um, so I do like that, but I'm looking forward to some more clarity, so. Yeah, I... I've stopped paying attention for a long time, like probably six weeks or eight weeks or so. I've just shut down all contact with that because I'm more interested in what happened than what a bunch of talking heads think might happen. Mm -hmm. So here's what we have to deal with today. You just explained it. Uh, The round robin for the top four teams reseeding after the bottom eight play each other. I think it's a I think it's a perfectly logical sound format and I'm I'm fine with that. I I'm I'm curious about the the money aspect, the revenue side, I'm curious how they how they evaluate that, how it affects the cap next year, uh the trade deadline, free agency, all these things to be determined. But uh again, I'm going to sit back and wait until it happens and then think about it because oddly enough, nobody's asking me. Right. I don't get it, but they're just not. I, I, I make sure my phone is charged. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking hearing. forward to the playoffs though, too, because I'm I'm looking forward to see who comes out on top and who wins it, um, and what that what that means for for this season. Because there's undoubtedly, arguably, going to be an asterisk next to a, a team if Montreal comes in and wins. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. You, because, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said for the fact that it is what it is and everybody started at zero at this playoff right. and, and everything like that. Everybody who is being included in this playoff is starting from the same standpoint with exception of maybe your top four seeds who get a buy into the next part of it. But otherwise, everybody starts on, on an evil, evil, uh, a level playing field. Um, but uh, there's also something to be said on the other side of the, the sword, on the other side of the coin. You know, if a Montreal wins it or if a Chicago wins it or anything like that, is there something to be said for the fact that if it wasn't 24 teams, they wouldn't have won if it wasn't, you know, if they played the remaining 12 games, would they have even made it, you know, and all that stuff. So again, well, you, a lot of, a lot of speculation, a lot of what ifs. Um, but it, it's again, another something to ponder, um, just simply because of, of the way it comes out. Shea Weber even said it himself in a quote uh, when he was asked if he thought it was fair. Uh, Shea Weber is with Montreal. Uh, he said, no, I don't think it's fair, especially for the teams that have worked all year to be where they are. But we are also excited because it gives us a chance to play and a chance to win. So, um, again, there's ways to look at it on both sides, but um, it'll be interesting to see how it balances it out. We talk a lot about the game balancing itself out. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see through this whole 24-team play-in and play-off aspect um, how the game balances itself out that way. Um, do When we finally get to the 
round of 16, if you will, which is the normal playoff. Right. Is it 16 teams that you, that standings wise and whatever else you could argue would have been there anyway? You know, is the cup winner somebody like Colorado or St. Louis or Tampa or Boston or somebody like that who you could argue if the virus wasn't around and things happened normally? was likely going to be your cup contender favorites anyway. Do they win it, right? So it, it it's interesting. There's a lot of speculation, but it's also interesting just to see how it balances out and how it plays out in regards to, to all that stuff. So, Well, um, you, you can never prove what didn't happen. Exactly. So that will be good fodder for keeping cable sports channels for your and, hit pieces and your headlines people yeah. speculating and twitter and all that nonsense that'll keep everybody buzzing for a long long time but the nhl good on them for not doing it like college football where they just vote on who they think is best or figure skating or something like that you if or at least you giving are, them a chance to compete you're right if you yeah. are if you are playing montreal it might be tough because you run into a hot carry price. He can beat anybody. So if you're, but if you're better, then don't lose to him. Well, exactly. And it's it, in that thought process. It's it's the same aspect I had with, um, in baseball with the Houston Astros issues. Um, <laughs> seriously, because it's like yeah. there's no cheating going on in the NHL right now. But it, but it's a, the same aspect. There's a lot of negative things being thrown at the Astros who should not have done what they did. I'm I'm not saying they should have. I'm not saying it was awesome or cool. No, no way. But also keep in mind, the Yankees also lost in Yankee Stadium more than once to the Houston Astros. And unless the Houston Astros are really, really good at the cheating, they're not able to pull off a lot of the cheating at Yankee Stadium the way they are in Houston. So you've still got to be able to, to come out and get the job done. And if that means the catcher goes out every two pitches and whispers to the pitcher, you, you got to be able to adapt and you got to be able to come out and go, you know what? Whoa, something's happening. We may not be able to approve it, but now, but now let's figure out a way to do this so we can still win ball games. Change your signs. And, and so, and clearly that didn't happen. Not saying you know, like Bill Burr's domestic violence, not saying it should have happened or should have been done, but let's also not avoid the fact that the Yankees also lost on home field multiple times. You know, it's that type of thing. So, so with with Montreal or Chicago or somebody like that in the playoffs, there's a lot of what ifs and a lot of things that you can talk about that didn't happen because of the way things are right now. But here you are. If you really, really think Montreal doesn't belong there, 24 teams are not, and you should beat them, then go out and beat them. Yeah, exactly. If you don't think they belong there, then you better not lose to them. So but, go out and beat them because I can tell you right now, if I'm them, I'm, I'm if I'm Shea Weber, I'm saying the same thing. I'm like, you know what? This, this sucks. Do I think it's fair? No. But I can tell you right now, we're in a position where we can compete for a chance to, at a Stanley Cup. Right. And so we're, we're going to take it. So you don't take us lightly because you think we shouldn't be here. Otherwise we're going to prove that we, we are here and we're going to walk through you. So come, come out and beat us right. otherwise, you know, so that's, that's my rambling roundabout way of saying, 
50-50 on your personal views of the 2014 thing, but at the end of the day, you're all out there competing. If you if you think you're better than Nashville or Montreal or Chicago or Minnesota or anybody like that, then go out and beat them. And beat otherwise, them. it's like, otherwise it's like it's not like it's not like they're getting a, th- a three goal. They're not spotting three, a goal. A three, getting spotted three a three goal lead right. in every game simply because they were on the outside looking in when all this happened. You're all starting at zero. So go out and beat them if you think you're better. It's I would plain and simple. So I would imagine that of the sixteen teams that would be in the playoffs as of the end of the regular season, and again you can't prove what never happened, but. I would be absolutely amazed. I don't know what the odds would be given the circumstances that not one of those 16 teams was displaced by one of the five or six teams below them in those final 12 or 13 games. Right. So you're the eighth seed when you, when the league shut down and there are a handful of teams and we talked about it before the, before this thing happened there were a handful of teams that were no more than a four out of five win streak away from being solidly into the playoffs. So well, it's true. And the just, 24 team play in is, I guess, if you want to look at it in a positive light is, is like the it. finish of the regular season. Yeah. You're now taking teams that would have been competing with each other anyway for the final playoff spots. And you're now I'm, putting up um, against each other to play into the 16 team format. Absolutely fine. So it. you get Chicago, Nashville and all of them playing games and okay, win and play yourself in. And it's like, you're making the playoffs anyway. And so at least in that regard, you're right. You think about it that way. And you know, Chicago would have had to compete with Minnesota for a playoff spot anyway. So you may as well in the play in the play in include them. And then, yep. Hey, if they get included, then they get included. Well, if you're, so, if I mean, you're it, angry about being one of the seven teams that did not get pulled into that 2014 playoff, maybe you shouldn't have sucked for the first 70 games of the year. Maybe you should have thought of this last October, November. So, and if you are in, regardless of your seeding or who you have to play to get to the next round, you don't have to be the best team in the league. You just have to be the best team tonight. Mm -hmm. So go with that. And that's the mentality that everybody's got to go after. So I'm fine with it. I, there are, there was no perfect answer. No. If you can make the vast majority of the teams happy, which they have, I don't think Detroit or Ottawa has a complaint. There might be a couple of teams that were on that bubble of 24 that, that could squawk, but if that's all you get out of 31 teams, take it. That's another example. You're never going to make everybody happy. So it it is what it is. But anyway, um, based on the fact you can never make everybody happy, at least make me happy and then we'll be okay. Yes. That's all it really matters. You're you're the priority. So, um, Anyways, episode 55 of War Room, the Hockey Podcast, player evaluations, uh, the update on everything in the NHL. Thank you all for tuning in. Listeners that driving force behind what we do, we can't thank you enough for continuing to, to listen uh, and engage with us if you've engaged with us. If you haven't, please do so. We, we really appreciate the comments and the questions. Um, head to the necessary social media platforms. Like and follow us, uh, Worm the Hockey Podcast, at Worm the Hockey Podcast, at War Hockey, respectively, amongst Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, www.warroomhockey.com. Um, Warm the Hockey Podcast is also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe, you rate, and you review, um, and you share to continue to help uh, the show grow. Um, 
lots to look forward to in the coming weeks and the coming months. Um, thank you for joining the studio again. Always um, a pleasure to be here. And bigger news today. This goes to social media and brighter days ahead. Breakaway is back open for business today. They were open for takeaway only. Now they're open for uh, open for business. So. Make sure you head down and, and grab one of their new taco variations. That's right. And um, grab an, uh, a cold pilsner or a pale ale or something like that. So, um, yep, thanks for joining the studio. Always a pleasure. Um, we'll see you in the studio again for uh, next week's episode. For sure. Uh, ne- and next week's recording. Um, again, make sure you head to social media and check out the power rankings heading into um, the very interesting Yet, you could argue, exciting uh, 2020 um, playoff season and and then subsequent off season. And uh, make sure you look for War Room's po- uh, power rankings into the 2021 season as we will have a good dozen or so of them throughout the year through 10-game increments. So yeah, make, sure, make sure you look for, look for that. Um, we, will, we pride ourselves on doing the power rankings in an objective, factual manner um, that fits to where they, where they fall and not based on an opinion of a blog writer or anything like that. So, Which is why you didn't include me yes, in that, right? Absolutely. Okay. I so, understand. So make sure you, make okay sure you uh, head there. Make sure you like that. Um, make sure you give uh, your thoughts on it. And uh, we will see you all throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.